driving culture forward. This is Hypebeast Radio. I am your host, Robert Marshall. I'm here with a special guest host, Ryan Trinidad. Sup, gang gang? We don't see the mic raised. Hello, hello. Thank How's you. How's everybody doing? Uh, and today, we have a special guest, Mr. Coltrane Curtis. Uh, guest, not the Sue special. Just a no, guest. Just a guest. Just a guest. Just right. a guest. Um, special to me. All right, first. <laughs> um, you're, you're cute, um, too. <laughs> <laughs> I got, a, I got the radio face for sure. <laughs> um, Mr. Coltrane Curtis, again, of Team Epiphany. Um, I think before we get, dive into it, uh, congratulations in order. Um, you just had your second child, correct? We, we like to call him the last child. Yeah, the last there, was the, there was the golden child first, <laughs> and now you have the last child. But um, I had, just had another boy. Um, you know, he's about uh, 10 weeks now. Scare, he came four and a half weeks early, born oh, wow. at 4.2 pounds, came home at 3.8 pounds, and 10 weeks later, he's now 14 pounds. So we're very blessed, very, very blessed. So thank you for that. Yeah, I wouldn't even know how babies grow. So, I mean, that sounds like it's a lot. Yeah. I don't even, I wouldn't even know. Like, yeah, it's, it's a lot. He's a big boy now. <laughs> That's just to say that. He went from wearing preemie clothes to now he's in like six to nine months in the span of a month. So he's huge. What was his first <laughs> pair of kicks? First pair of kicks, wow. Um, first pair of kicks that I bought him, first pair of kicks that other people bought him. So uh, none of the kicks have come home. Okay. Uh, most people know that when you buy clothes for your kids and you buy crazy sneakers, it's probably like the worst investment ever because they'll never get a chance to wear it. Or if they do wear it, they'll lose one of the shoes. Um, my first pair of kicks for him was uh, a pair of uh, uh, my friend Abdul, who lives in... Um, he lives in uh he lives in DC. He sent me a pair of Air Force Ones, Baby Force Ones, like OG ones from like early eighties in a box. And he sent those and then we click quickly started growing his collection. Now he has a bunch of like dead stock uh baby force twos. Um and then I got a couple other gifts. So, you know, he's a he's definitely a swoosh kid and he's got um Baby Force Ones and Baby Force Twos in like five different dead stock colorways. So I started them early. So you guys aren't even bothering with bronzing the first shoes. This is like, no, we're just right yeah, into Yeah, we didn't bronze the first kid's shoes. The second kid, you know, you know, that you usually find out that you do less for the second kid, you know. Um, <laughs> we, we are, we're living up to that. Like we've absolutely purchased absolutely nothing for this kid. Um, you know, so he's got a lot of hand-me-down stuff, a lot of, you know, stuff I sent other parents that they got to send back to me. So you kind of like get that kind of like parental cyclical clothing cycle flow going on. So um, yeah, so I'm getting a lot of clothes back. My friend Marielle, she's a stylist. Um, she does like JLo and a bunch of people. She sent us a lot of stuff from her kids seven. And then uh, my brother JDM who owns Stadium Goods, his son Max, we sent him a lot of like Trico Field. So he's got to right, bring right. me that back. So, you know, we got a lot of it coming back. Yeah, so it's, sure. it's like reverse investment. And how is uh, your firstborn, uh, Ellington? Ellington. He's he's handling it actually too well. I'm waiting for it to hit the fan, you know. Um, you know, he's being the best big brother possible. I'm, I'm the only child, so I don't understand that brotherhood, like, you know, relationship. But he's doing extremely well. This morning I got up early. Um, Count slept through the night, which is a big deal for the people that don't have kids. When you got a, like a two to three month and they're sleeping through the night, that's an amazing thing. And Ellington woke up early. He didn't prepare the bottle, but he fed his brother this morning, burped him twice, fed him. So for a six-year-old, um, I'm very proud of Ellington. You know, he's um, trilingual. He um, speaks fluent Mandarin, writes characters, reads characters, uh, speaks Spanish. Um, and he's six years old, and he's headed to the second grade. So I'm really, really proud of that Insane. little guy. I mean, I was... I just have a younger brother and we're four years apart. So, I mean, I, if, if I'm allowed to give any bit of advice as a man that doesn't have any children, I would just say, make sure you, 
Ellington has to bring him everywhere. Oh, because there was times where like I, my father didn't make me do that, and I, I, I wish he did. Because there, we are, there is a bit of a gap sometimes, like where you know I was like, no, I'm kicking him aside. I'm 12, he's eight. Like no, I'm going to hang with the homies. Oh well, yeah, you know, I mean, I think when you, you know, you have you plan for the first kid, and then six years later you have the whoopsie poopsie, as Dave <laughs> Chappelle would say, and you got another kid that's six years in in age difference. And um, the funny dynamic between those two is that. Um, Ellington is going to have to bring Count because Count seems like he's going to be the muscle. Ellington oh, yeah. is kind of, you know, he thinks he's cute, you know, is, you know, he thinks he's sweet and, you know, everybody thinks he's, you know, his hair is great and, you know, he tans well and all that other oh, kind yeah, of fun stuff. He's on the internet. He's on Yeah, he's around. He's, yeah, he's yeah. around, you know, but like, you know, his, his little brother is going to be his muscle. So we got, we had Ellington, the pretty boy. Now we got the bruiser and now we're done. <laughs> and what happens when, you know, co-founder or co-owners of an agency you know, have a child. Do both of you go, go guy goes on, um, like, what is it? Uh, maternity, maternity leave? Yeah. yeah. You, how does um, that work out for you guys? It doesn't work out. It, <laughs> it just happens, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate to, you know, be married and in love with my business partner. So, you know, pillow talk for us is like P&L speak, right? Um, so we have a lot to talk about, but, you know, she and I, um, you know, have a really incredible bond, you know? Um, and we we do these things together, you know. Um, you know, we're we we we're not as seasoned as most. We're not, you're not traditional agency people. You know, we're not Wharton graduates, but we're smart people that know how to you know traverse life, and we figure it out, right? So, um, very for Lisa and I, we don't have much family. You know, um, Lisa's uh, dad passed away. Geez, maybe like nine years ago, eight nine years ago, my dad passed away. Probably like six years ago. September 1st. So yeah, about six years ago, my dad passed away. So it's, um, and we're not super close with the rest of our family. So it's, and her family lives in Shanghai. So the reality is, is like, it's just us, you know? Um, so, uh, and then Lisa's a workaholic, you know, so am I. So, you know, with Ellington, I think she might've taken off four or five days. Jeez. Um, and she was back to work after that. Um, you know, pregnancy at 40 is a, is a, is a completely different other thing. Um, so she did take off three weeks. Um, right. And, um, you know, uh, you know, across those three weeks, literally from the hospital bed, you know, she was still laptop working. Um, you know, we've been blessed to be able to have some support at home from nannies. And, you know, I didn't know what the hell baby nurses were. Um, you know, I was like, what is this thing? And now it's like, I need this thing, you know. So it's like, you know, I actually had to go to uh, Stadium Goods the other day and turn some sneakers into my office to uh, actually pay for an extra extra <laughs> month of uh, baby service. Oh, no. Uh, baby. But, you know, it's you keeping, it real, keeping it real. Keeping it real. Keeping it real. Man, yeah, you know, I didn't you give away. Give the, I didn't give away the key joints. You okay, know, right, I, I uh, gave away the dupes. You, you know, have some to spare. I know you know, you know how it is. You yeah, buy yeah, one, yeah. you 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 buy one to wear, and you buy one to the stash. Ice pair. Yeah, yeah, so the ice pair is on ice over there. So, um, but no JD, and they already sold them. So thanks, murder. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a kind of hard pivot um, to Team Epiphany. Um, you guys started some 15 years ago now, almost? Make me feel old, I'm 42, I'll be 43 this year, 15 years next year, man. Wow, okay. And you guys started on, or, or founded on collecting brand, or connecting brands with influencers, yeah. right? Something I think streetwear is super familiar with. Yeah. Um, could you tell us what, you know, then, what, is that, what was an influencer? Yeah. And, and, do, and has it, the actual definition changed over time? Um, I'll back into that question, pause. Um, <laughs> Yes, it's changed tremendously. It's become a business. Yeah. You know, um, when we created the agency 15 years ago as an influencer marketing agency, right? Um, it wasn't that, you know, um, you know, we were 
it was our differentiation point. My dad ran an agency for 20, 25 years, you know, and the first thing, a couple things he told me was the cost of business puts you out of business. Um, when you run an agency, you know, you've told so many lies to win a piece of business that when you get a piece of business, you've actually lost it before you started because now you have to actually do all, you know, produce all the lies. You so promise all this we stuff. don't, we don't lie, you know, so that's like one of the other things. But, you know, when you really think about like influencer marketing, then it was just more about our community and our friends. You know, when I started the agency, going back to what my dad said about overhead, um, I, I had, uh, I consulted with an agency. They were pitching for a piece of lugs business. I had just left, uh, I think it was MTV at the time. So it was crazy. I went from Echo to Complex to MTV to go to lugs, which was crazy. Um, and I was very fortunate that uh, Mark and Seth took care of me extremely well, where they paid me out for a bunch of consecutive years after I left Echo, so I didn't have to turn a profit at Team Epiphany. And then um, this agency asked me to come in and consult with them for a piece of Lug's business, and I was green, I was excited, and um, we won the piece of business, and I never figured out the compensation piece. Um, and uh, the compensation for me wasn't I didn't need a check from them, I needed office space. So from day zero, we were able to barter um, skill sets and cool points and and relationships for office space. Um, and then with that office space, what I was able to do is then um, give the office space that I had to friends who were in the same predicament as me, predicament as me, who were really looking to kind of leave the current industry that they were in to find a new field. Um, and so that allowed me to hire, you know, not hire, but you know, house, you know, people like Marielle Hain, um, who was, you know you know, just started as being Rihanna's stylist or, and my wife was kind of like co-managing her or uh, my friend Joyce Sevilla, who was my publicist, who just left 5WPR and, you know, my friend Ben, who had just recently left Raucous um, and he's a guy who I started the agency with, right? So when you start thinking about it, it's like influence was really about networking communities. It wasn't about a metric. It wasn't about a follower count. You know, influencers for us are always people first, you know, not a media outlet or a network or sh a sheer way to amplify a brand message or a product. Um, right. For us, it was about community. Um, and nowadays, it's completely shifted to where, um, you know, we're a metric, you know, um, and I wouldn't say me, <laughs> um, but um, I would say others are treated that way. And I think we don't really look at it as that as such, you know. Um, and so now what you have is an industry um, who's found a tool, a tool in the toolbox, you know, that they don't know what it can do. You know, they know it's sharp. They know if they hit things really hard with it, you know, it, it'll break or it'll shatter. But when you really look at influence, influence is probably the most important toolbox in any marketer's um, tool, tool shed because it's about word of mouth. It's about trust. Um, and when you think about influencer marketing, if they don't engender trust, um, then it's not really influencer marketing. It's more about pay to play and right. it's more about um, advertising as opposed to just um, real people who are trying to connect with other people around the world to create something new and impactful. Right. Like your whole your whole thing was that you knew the community, that you were very much a part of it. Um, I think over the past week or, or, or two weeks now, Facebook had announced something along, uh, along the lines of their, what is it, their brand collabs manager, where they have a, uh, a program on their site where they're going to link brands to influencers based on whatever stats on their site. Where, so there is no people really involved to, to help choose which one works best for them. Is, is, is this where... Is this where we're headed? Is this? That's where they're headed. That's yeah. I call, you know, and that's where some brands are headed, and mm -hmm. I call that womp womp. You know, <laughs> like it's kind of like you know when you start really thinking about you know it's kind of like you think about you know technology and you really think about 
you know, automation and will humans be necessary, right? Like there's, there's no substitute for human finesse. You know, there's, you know, you can come up with as many algorithms and, and metrics and numbers as you want, but the real thing is like, there's, there's something in all of us that's about human nature and a gut, you know? Um, and I think the way we activate most of our influence or community, um, and I use the word activate very like loosely, right? It's like, I'm activating my friend, like activate spider vision, right? Um, you know, when you think about activating influencers, you know, um, there's a one-to-one -one approach and then there's one-to-meaningful approach or one-to-two approach, right? So if you were talking, if a brand was talking to me um, or reaching out to me, which many have, right? Yeah. Um, um, you know, they would think I'm Coltrane, I have nice watches and he's got a great sneaker collection and he loves cars and he travels well and he knows hotels right and that's because like you don't know me right but if people know me and want me to work for their brand like the brands that really should come to us or come to me specifically not us at team epiphany but coltrane is like i love this daddy stuff you know like i'm probably you know the most of you know you know <laughs> well-researched dad that understands strollers you know i can tell you the difference between a you know an upper baby and a you know and a, and a stokey or whatever that thing is called or you know if you want to know about kids clothes or if you want to know about cool things to do on a weekend in a big city with your with your you know six or you know ten week old like a ten you know i'm your guy right so the difference is is how do you activate me the only way you know what i'm about is if you actually truly know me right. you know we've done programs before where we've relaunched a heineken bottle in la um, it was, um, I think it was called Arrive Big, it was a couple of years ago, and, you know, we came up with this whole program where it was, you know, let's do really creative events and intimate events, small groups of influencers with great amplification coming from it around the launch of this Heineken bottle. And one of the people that we decided to work with in L.A. to host the event um, was, I would, I don't want to say mentor because I'd age him, even though he's like in way better physical shape than me, but like James Bond is like, you know, you know, one of those gods in our lives that I'm very, that I'm very fortunate to have have as a as a as a peer a mentor a friend and um, we use James to actually curate the dinner um, he hired his friend chef Ludo and a bunch of different things but we hired James to actually um, host this dinner for us uh, what was interesting about that is that James is sober like James is, doesn't drink you know so when you really think about somebody that doesn't drink you know you know helping you kind of create a program for a brand that's you know a, that's a beer you know the difference is is the fact that you know we know that James likes to bring people together right. and that's what this program was about it wasn't about you know how many how many you know <laughs> you know how many beers can you drink in an event it was more about how can you galvanize and kind of like create a a really cool table or a really cool environment of people who are driving culture first in LA and that's what James is really about so when you really think about his love of sport you know I think it's transcended by his love of bringing people together so when you really think about that and you know James he was the perfect and the only person to actually do that event so most people would think like oh well he doesn't drink we can't work with him but if you really know him like his his what drives him is bringing people together and that's right. what this program was about so if i didn't know him and if i'm looking at a metric i don't think james even has a has an instagram account or any social media presence but that doesn't mean he's not influential actually he's the most influential go tell him he's not influential fold you up oh, <laughs> so like yeah. you know yeah. but but those are the people and those are the relationships but i think you know influencer marketing um is 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 a great tool if you respect it you know but if you don't it can crush you and we've seen instances of both of them Right. Yeah. And then I guess the opposite side of it, you know, that's where these brands and these companies are failing. But um, how does that affect or how is that in relation to where the consumers, the actual people that are seeing this, they have they're weary about it. 
um, with the you know, lack of quality or authenticity. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when you think about influencer marketing, it's not like, you know, it's not like carpet bombing, you know, it's more like laser focused and you need to really understand like, you know, who you're trying to have a conversation with and who's influencing whom. Right. You know, um, you know, when we, geez, you know, we had many taglines at the agency, but probably like halfway through, you know, our matriculation in Team Epiphany, you know, our biggest, our, our tagline was we influence the influencers, you know, um, and, you know, to us, it was really about who's driving culture, you know, and then who's then driving masses. So you have to kind of like take a couple steps back to really figure out who are, you know, with the catalyst, I think one of the biggest things that we really look at influencer marketing is about, it's not about the individual, right? It's about the community that they belong to. Mm. If you're, if you're, and that's the reason why that whole pay to play model doesn't work, right? right? Um, like if you're really about activating a community, you know, I'm all ears, I'm down with that, right? Um, but if you're, if it's very, it's very easy to pay an individual to do something, but when you have to go pay their community to do it, you can't really afford it. Right. So the difference is how do you have the ability to take those dollars that you have to actually activate the community around the sole influencer? And that's basically what influencer marketing is. It's like, you know, you look at Kanye, you know, I think you look at kind of like um, just the importance of his network and, and his team. Right. And I always say, you know, um, Kanye, yes, he's great. He's a musical genius, you know, a little wild on a couple other issues. Right. <laughs> sure. But um, but when you really think about it, you know, there are people there that have created the brand that he is. You know, if we were two years ago, you know, this conversation wouldn't seem like it was old, you know, but like, you know, obviously because, you know, Virgil's rise is success. But, you know, Virgil's an architect, you know, he's been able to kind of create what, you know, Kanye's visual looks like on stage. And when you think about, you know, people like Ivan or Chris Julian or Derek Watkins or, you know, or Don C, you know, yeah. you really see their importance. And when you really think about influencer marketing, if you know the machine that can create the celebrity, you can kind of pull the celebrity out a little bit, insert a brand and kind of like make that brand the celebrity. And you can even see the importance of the network to the to the celebrity of their influencer network, um, you know, I think it was just literally yesterday or the day before, you can kind of like, you know, you saw Kanye kind of on Chicago radio breaking down and really talking about, I wouldn't be in all these predicaments if I really had Don with me, you know? Right. Um, and, I, and, and I feel him, you know, for a lot of times I didn't really feel him about it, but what he's really talking about is the sphere of influence and the sphere of impact on his life and trust and, and, and loyalty and, you know, and, and you start thinking about all those different things. It's very, very one-to-one -one the way in which brands should be, be approaching influencers, you know? It's like you take one dude out of Kanye's camp, Don, for a little bit, you know, and look how awry the, the stud goes, you know? Um, so you got to really, really pay attention to, you know, the people who are behind the scenes because, you know, a lot of us and a lot of the kids and a lot of, you know, the people that we market to will never be the celeb, but they can definitely achieve... Um, iconic status by being a part of the team that can kind of create greatness and and that's what the power of influence can do for you you mentioned like a, a few points right but i want to know where where this whole weird trend of cgi of like computer generated influencers fit in <laughs> because how does i mean how do they have a network of <laughs> of 
influencers or whatever it might be. I don't, I, I still don't understand how this like really works ineffectively for brands. Yeah, I think it's whack. I think it's, but here's the deal, right? Is it just a gimmick? Is nah, it, is, here's the deal. So yeah. first I have to level set on who I am, right? Fair. I'm as analog as you can get, you know? Fair. Like if you want to call me, here's my cell number. If you want to email me, here's my email number. If yeah. you try to text me, yeah. I've never texted a day in my life. He's got a pen on his hat. You know what I mean? Sorry. I don't. You guys up here. Sorry. That wasn't for cause, right? It does say Team Epiphany. Shameless plug. Um, But, you know, I'm not about, like, technological shortcuts. You know, I believe in the power. I come from an era of, like, meeting people and and having a dialogue with people, right? So it's like, if you text me, it's going to bounce back. Mm -hmm. If you want to call me, I'll pick up the phone. You know, you might get 10 seconds, you might get 10 minutes, you might get two hours. But the difference is, is like, I like to connect with people. And I think that's one of the things that I think our, this, this generation now that lives in this microwave culture, you know, miss, mm-hmm. you know? So when you start thinking about like, when I grew up, it was like, you know, I'm throwing parties in New York City. You know, it's me, uh, legendary Damon, my friend, you know, Stephen Malbin, when he's created Frank Magazine while he was at Georgia State, like yep. we're throwing parties called Spread and we're doing El Flamingo and yeah, I'm working with Jessica and, and, and Lublin over at Cheetah and, you know, like we're throwing parties. Like, but the difference is, is like always on my hip, I had this thing called a two-way pager, right? Right, right. I mean, I'm even old enough that I had the black one before there was the, the, there was the time port silver one. And, you know, you'd go out with the intention of meeting people to reconnecting with them the next day. And I would go and, you know, I have my two-way pager and I'd reach out and I'd beam it and, okay, you got, my, you got my contact, I got your contact. And then we would have actual, like, a real relationship with people, right? I remember, you know, first time I met Puff and I was so hyped. Like, I literally came back to the office like, yo, I met Puff, like, yo, we got Puff's two-way, like, yo, what up? And the next day I was like, oh, well, what do we do with it? I don't know, what are you gonna call Puff the next day and say, like, you, you know doing? what I mean? <laughs> like, what am I doing? But I was hyped the fact that, like, he gave me the time of day that we had a, had a had a dialogue, a conversation. He may not remember me or I remember him and that's what it was. So when you gotta go to the CGI influencer, 21 gigawatts, like all of that stuff doesn't work to me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you got these fake influencer companies, you know, talking about like, oh, like we have these algorithms and you know, we can plug you with these different influencers cause they're on YouTube and like all these things. I'm like, oh, I don't really care about that. That's not my business, right? When you're really looking to kind of like the world that I live, drive a consumer to purchase, it comes from trust. And I would believe that the people that we're marketing to um, probably are a little bit sharper than believing something that like, you know, someone created on their laptop, like straight up, you know? So if like that's what it is, that's what it is. That's not my business. But, you know, I would just say it is a weak point in culture where we can look at, you know, like CGI influences, would you call them? Yeah, you know, yeah I mean, they call them, Artificial influencers, Artificial. they call them, yeah. I almost cursed on this podcast. <laughs> I literally almost cursed. Yeah, you, by, by all yeah. means. It's called fuckery, okay? Like, <laughs> yeah. all right? Like, that's what it is, you know? And it's like, hey, if that's what you subscribe to, cool, bro. Go for it, you know? I got some lugs for you to buy next week, you know what I mean? Like, in a refrigerator <laughs> with no door. Like, I'm good, B. Like, you know, we're working with real people doing real things. And I don't think, like, you know, I thought cars would be flying by the time that I'm 40, right? Guess what? I'm good, you know? I drive every day. Like it's all good. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be in the Tesla that's crashing. You know what I mean? In the in third lane. Like I'm, I got my hands on the steering wheel, fam. So, I mean, between all that and then you have the whole talk for micro influencers is kind of the big thing now. But then you you scale it all the way up and you have Hove uh, and Puma, which 
you know, him going as, or, or signing on as a creative director. Mm -hmm. um, again, it just seems like another one of those, just a title placement, yeah. right? Yeah. In reality, do you, you know, I think I know your answer to this, right? But is there, is this influencer market, uh, like, are we reaching a bubble, so yeah. to speak? I mean, yeah. you have Kylie Jenner making, what was, I don't even remember what the, the sum was. A post? Yeah, something like that. At least, Insane. yeah. I mean, it's just a sad place for global culture where our kids are being influenced by these people that are fabricated. Mm -hmm. That's basically just a stain on all of us. Right. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, hey, yo, we got the most Fugazi president in the world, right? And it's because of the same kind of yeah. thing, Yeah. you know? Like, so when you start thinking about like what's important to culture and who's driving it forward, like, you know, you know, I, I would just say the challenge with me is the fact that you, know, you think about the world, you know, it's like I market to such a small percentage of it, right? Um, the, the larger swath of, of, of this consumer base, these are the things that they're looking up to. Like, you know, like one minute, like you could be Kylie Jenner and, you know, sell a close to a billion dollars in cosmetics, you know, because her lips are plump. And the next day she can decide that she's going to deflate her lips and her business is still doing the same thing. You know, for me, I'm kind of like scratching my head. I'm like, yo, what's going on here? Like, what's going on, fam? Like, someone you want to like tip me in? But the difference is, is that this consumer is so celebrity, you know, infatuated that, you know, they can get away with anything. And I just think that I'd like to, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to represent like, you know, the realness, you know? I like to represent the best side of human culture, you know? Like, that's not what we subscribe to. And I think, you know, it's probably the reason why my agency's the size that it is, and I'm comfortable with that, you know, because I like what we do. I like, you know, you know, I, I, I like, I, I can look at myself in the mirror in the morning and, and appreciate, you know, our approach to solving branch challenges. Um, and I don't think we really take advantage of anyone. And I think that we actually inspire people to learn more and be better, you know? So it's like, if we're doing Nike equality for All-Star Weekend, you know, in New Orleans and, you know, Nike tasks us with the ability to do that experience, you know, it's like, it was us that was like, hey, you know, we don't want to show up to New Orleans, one of my, probably my second favorite city in the U.S., you know, with another three ring circus, you know, that this community doesn't need a pop-up circus and that's leaving in three days, right? This community needs, you know, tools and empowerment. And, you know, what we did for that was literally like, you know, um, Jared on my squad who, who, who co-leads our strategy team, you know, wrote curriculums about like, like wellness and, and muscle memory and nutrition and yoga. And, you know, we wrote curriculums for the kids. And then we allowed like the athletes that we had an hour with who normally come through, take pictures and leave, we allowed them to actually teach the curriculums that we wrote to the kids that were there, right? Um, it's just a matter of like, when you have the opportunity and you have the tools and the power, um, it's very easy for agencies and people to take the easy road out. But if you're connected to the communities on the ground and you wanna see those people do better, um, you create programs like that. And, you know, um, and I think that's ultimately you know, um, I, I would say, hopefully my dad would be proud, but that's a differentiator between us and what a lot of other people are doing. Like they're taking advantage um, and, and they're not empowering. And, you know, you'll have to, you know, you'll have to answer to that, you know, but it's a matter of how you use your power. And I, and I hope that, you know, um, yes, you got to keep the lights on in TE and yes, we got to be profitable. And yes, I got to do bonuses and half year bonuses and raises and all those different things. But before all of that happens, it's like, I got to get up in the morning and look at myself and be like, hey, like, how did I help this? 
how do I help this generation? How do I help these consumers be better people? And brands have the power to do that. And hopefully that's what influencer marketing is for because that's what person, you know, that's what the, the personalities and the beings behind the work actually can engineer. Right. It's not something where it just solely lives on social media, right? You guys have long done event and like experiential marketing, right? And I, I think a lot of brands are just assuming like, no, we just have an Instagram post and we're good. Like it doesn't have to be anything where people experience. Yeah, I mean, the the wins with brands is when you can kind of mirror what's going on in the real world, what's going on digitally and socially, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that's where we come from. So there's a reason why like 60, 65% of our income comes from experiential and probably another 15, 20 comes from social because all we're doing is really connecting the dots between the digital and the real. And that's what we do well, you know? So it's like, you know, and, and I'm extra competitive. The other thing that most people don't know about me is like, you know, I play basketball, like I don't miss free throws. Speak on it. You know what I mean? I'm mad competitive. <laughs> I don't want to beat you by two. I want to skunk rule you by halftime and then have you go and cry home to your moms, right? So like the difference is, is like, we're very competitive about it, but you're not going to find another, some other kids to produce a better event than us. I'm going to tell you that right now, like challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Tap dance. Um, I know that episode very well. <laughs> <laughs> Cosby's, I know that one. One of my faves. Um, so where do you, I mean, I, I guess you kind of said it there. Where do you, where do you see this like influential market, like influencer marketing going? Is it, is it stepping, is it going to really be stepping away from social media? I mean, if social media just ceased to exist. I hope it does. Influencer yeah. marketing is basically old school marketing, word of mouth. Right. Right. That's what it is. Now we can quantify its value, you know? So if you can kind of look at influencer marketing as kind of like a tree, like I have a money tree in my crib that like when I think me and Lisa first started dating, we had it and it was literally like, you know, one of those like straight up Chinatown money trees that kind of come in those little things that's like this big. And now this tree in our house is like eight feet tall. Right. Um, and along the and along the lines, you know, you lose some of the leaves, you know, and you might lose a whole branch, you know, but the tree is still growing tall. Right. right. Um, so I think influencer marketing. Um, I think a lot of leaves will be falling off, you know, um, and I think it's the people that have abused and bastardized the craft. Um, it's a craft of trust and, 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 and yeah, it's a craft of trust. And I think the people that have, you know, you know, that have not lived truthfully or honestly, I think they will be the leaves that will fall off, you know. So when you think about, you know, all the PR agencies in the world that claim that they can do influencer marketing, but, you know, all they're really doing is kind of like, looking at follower count and then hitting the info button and then offering a dollar. And I think they're going to die out. You know, I think the whole thing of, you know, having to say sponsored in your posts now, um, I think is killing it a little bit. Um, and, um, I think it's, I think that's going to get atrophied in, 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 if, if you will, you know, um, and I think influencer will always live, but when you really think about influencer marketing, just think about word of mouth, just think about the people that you trust. Just think about the people, you know, the people that you know personally are the reason why you consume products, you know? Um, there was a, there was a, um, I'm a, I'm a watch guy. I love watches. I have a lot of IWCs and um, they did a birthday party for me um, at their store where there's like maybe like six or eight of us and, you know, brought us food and, you know, a lot of liquor or whatever, but we were able to actually take apart the complications in our big pilot watch yeah. um, and, and we took it apart and, um, and put them back and it was like a four hour birthday thing. And it wasn't really like a, you know, we weren't turned up, but it was like a really great experience. And what those people that got invited to that experience learned was about watches. It wasn't anything about IWC, 
you know, um, and what IBUC did is that they actually taught people what they were buying. You know, a lot of people buy Rolexes and, you know, and, you know, even like this, this watch I have here today, you know, it's like one of my first watches um, that my wife bought me and it has absolutely no movement. You know, it's gold, it's carbon, you know, it was like 7,500 bucks, but it doesn't have any movement, you know? And it was because when I was buying it, I didn't know anything about movement in watches. I just thought I was buying a gold watch, right? right. Um, and what IWC was the, what did that day was that they made everybody at that table knowledgeable and experts about the craft of horology. That's what they did. Whether that those people would come back to IWC or go somewhere else to buy another watch, they taught those people about what they were seeing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I would probably tell you, actually I do know that everybody at that table came back and they actually bought a watch. But the difference was, was the fact that you were able to teach people something, they were able to learn something, they were able to, to, to connect their learning back to a brand, um, and that's something that stays with you longer than, than anything you'll ever have. So I think when you think about trust and you think about education and you think about being challenged, that's what, that's what, that's what word of mouth and influencer marketing does for people and for brands. And I think if we get back to the core ethos of what influencer marketing is, that's what it is. And that's how you engender trust and is because there's a, there's a passing of knowledge to one another and now you learn something and now you trust that person because they gave you something that's valuable and that's what influencer marketing is we've gone far away from it but at its core when those leads fall off like we'll be back home and i'll be right there waiting <laughs> <laughs> come to my events come <laughs> i think uh, another point i want to touch on it you know with the the marketing advertising side of things is something i saw you speak on uh, on your instagram um, if you want to shout out the handle real quick. Culture and Curtis. You already know. Um, <laughs> but you, uh, you pointed out that um, Adweek had published their power list earlier yeah. this year. Um, and also just um, a week ago, uh, Lindsay Peoples-Wagner published a great article on The Cut about being black and working in fashion. Um, but going back to the power list, there weren't uh, any or weren't many people of color on it, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, um, they finally they put Indra from Pepsi on it. Yeah, yeah. That's like the that's like the token one. Yeah. They got Indra on there. One um, hundred, huh? Yeah. I mean, hmm. it's sad, man. It's yeah. sad. It's sad. You know. Um, but I think that, and it's not sad for the people that were excluded from the list. It's sad for the next generation of people that don't see the people that don't see themselves represented on that list. It's not the fact that I barked out because I wasn't on that list or, or you know, or, or Hope wasn't on that list. Oprah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oprah wasn't on that yeah. list. Yeah. They're worth billions of dollars. You know, yeah. or like, it, you know, I mean, yeah. It, it's not about us personally. It's about the next generation that doesn't see themselves being included. Right. You know, um, and I think it can do two things. Um, you know, the, the young kids can give up or the young kids can fight. But the fact that they have to have that decision at such a young age, not that they're reading at age, mm -hmm. but some kids are, you know, and I think like, you know, I went to Morehouse, um, starkly famous black college, Atlanta, Georgia. Like I went there because Spike went there and Martin Luther King went there, you know, and, you know, the challenge for me while I was there was like I didn't have anything to look up to or to aspire to except for what, who my dad was, you know, because the school hadn't really laid out, you know, a clear career trajectory for somebody who didn't want to be in finance, you know, or who didn't want to go to medical school, right? 
um, and which those are their their two biggest. Uh, those are major, two biggest yeah, things. Or you go working, homie, or you go preaching your daddy's church. That's the <laughs> yeah, third one, right? Yeah, my but, closest friend was a finance major there. Yeah, you know, and they do extremely well. But yeah. if you can imagine me at Morehouse, like you know, first I had dreads. Second, it was you know what ninety three, you know, and you know I didn't have a real visual role model as in terms to what I wanted to become and who I wanted to be. And so, you know, when I saw that list come out, I would have thought of how I would have felt if I was that, I was a 16 year, a 16 year old freshman not seeing anybody that looked like me on this list. Yeah. I would just think that there's not a place for me there. And I think that's, that's, that's tragic, you know? Um, and I think, you know, I try to do things, you know, I have a scholarship at Morehouse, you know, we, 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 you know, that scholarship pays for the kid to go to school, also pays for him to come to New York and have an internship with us and work with us at Team Epiphany. And like, we're doing what we can block by block. But when you have those like, those those slaps in the face and just not being able to be represented, it's like, it hurts, you know? And, and it takes people like me and people way better than me to actually call that out, you know? We did the same thing earlier in the year with Footwear News. You know, um, with again, you know, they put a list of like the most influential people in the footwear industry, you know, and there wasn't any person of color on the list, you know, and I had to call it out, you know, it was like, like, I get it, like, you know, but, but come on, man, like, is James is and, you know, and it's just all types of people that should have been on that list. So I just think like, you know, um, either you, you, you ask to be a part of the list or you say, fuck it and make your own list, you know, and that's basically where I come from, where it's like, if it doesn't exist, build it and make it yourself. And, and that's what I subscribe to. Yeah. I mean, the onus is definitely on, uh, the public on ad week on any publication that's reporting on it, but there has been some instances, uh, you know, in, in recent, um, recent memory in which some brands have advertised a bit insensitively um, <laughs> um, or made a few mistakes yeah. in their marketing campaigns. Yeah. So, I mean, there still is obviously a, a lack of diversity. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a whole completely different issue. Like yeah. being acknowledged is like the top ballers in the industry is one thing. Right. Lack of diversity in this industry is probably worse than, you know, being acknowledged in those publications. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's a big challenge, you know, like I'm a black guy from Bed-Stuy, you know, and, you know, I run an agency about 80 people. Um, and, you know, how many brothers work for us? About five. about five, you know? So when you start thinking about that, I guess, think when most people come in the shop that you're gonna see a lot of people that look like me and you don't, you know? And it's not because I've not been trying. Right. Um, it's because, you know, we as, as a black community, you know, we don't, we're not risk takers. Right. Um, my dad was an entrepreneur. You know, the only thing I knew was to work for myself. So it's like when you go to these colleges, you know, they train you for a craft and a skill set and a position and a job. You know, so by the time that we're actually looking for people that look and feel like me, you know, those kids are often running into like their careers because they've been focused on that since junior year in college. Right. You know, so for us, you know, what me and my guy Jarrett, you know, and, and the agency as a whole is like we try to find us before, you know, our career paths are already kind of like mapped out, you know? So it's very important. So Jarrett went through a program called Prep for Prep in New York City, um, you know, that got him into collegiate and then got him into Wesleyan and prepared, well, prepared, got him into collegiate and then prepared him for Wesleyan, you know? So we now have a partnership with Prep for Prep where we do a scholarship with them in Team Epiphany and Jarrett's name where we can find the next Jarrett, you know, before he becomes, says like, hey, I'm gonna be, 
do something traditional, right? Um, same thing with me at Morehouse. It's more about we wanted to find the kids before you know they decide that they got to be engineers or doctors or which are great careers. But um, when you start going to kind of like the creative careers, um, there's just a, not really kind of like that feeder cell that prepares kids for this world. Um, and so I think my job, you know over the latter half of my career, hopefully I'm not in the latter half, but you know, maybe I am, is kind of preparing people that look and feel and that have skill sets and a POV on culture the same way that me and a couple of the brothers at the company do. Um, it's my job to find them and, and, and incubate them and give them a house to kind of like find their traction and find their direction um, because their voice is very, 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 very influential in terms of the way in which brands respect us target us and market to us. And without those kids, um, you know, you're going to find brands continuously making the missteps that they've had. Um, so it's, you know, we can complain about, you know, how we're marketed to. That's great. Um, but we can change that if we actually have people on the inside changing the direction of the way in which brands market to us. Now, would you have any advice for, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to give advice for young kids that want to grow up and be just like you or have like an agency. I don't know, I don't know if that's the path that you want to pitch to them, but for any of uh, um, young kids uh, that are listening to this that want to follow uh, some sort of creative or artistic endeavor, do you have a bit of advice for them? Yeah, um, this will sound rather weird and my wife would probably appreciate or laugh at me. I never know which, which way she'll go. Um, but I think it's very important for you to find your soulmate early. Um, which is completely probably different than you, something you thought I would say, right? Um, so we're talking about careers and we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, what you want to do and become. Yeah. But I would say, you know, the biggest um, link to my success, other than my dad being the biggest mentor ever, like my personal superhero, um, would be my wife. Yeah. Because what she allowed me to do is to be focused. Um, I've been with my wife for, definitely been married for 10. This is why I get in trouble, because the years, they all screwed <laughs> up, right? Um, I, we know we've been married for 10, and we've probably been together for like 17. Jeez. I don't know, we've been shout together to forever. Lisa. You know, shout out to Lisa, or <laughs> shots at Coltrane from Lisa. Um, you know, but I think um, when I saw her, when I met her, I knew I was gonna marry her. And um, I don't think, you know, I think that's a blessing, but I think that, you know, we live in a very promiscuous culture. We live in a very short attention span culture. Um, we live in a culture where um, I, I read it on the train. Uh, not on, I read it on the train on the way here. I never get on the train, but I read it on the train over here. Um, you know, like literally, like STDs are up like all time high, right? Jeez. Like, right? Some crazy like that. Some oh, crazy man. number, right? That's scary. Right? It's very go, scary. Go get right? yourself it's a train at. Anybody right? else train at? Maybe there's a train at. Right? right? Kids are riding the train, reading. That, but like, like, what's that? Mom? I was able. I was able to focus on my craft mm -hmm. because I wasn't unfocused and running the streets and. And that happened for me at a very young age when I was with my wife. Right. Um, so I would say the first thing is, is find someone that you can be with that supports you even when you, when you fail and when you win. You know, I remember the time when I got fired from Echo um, and she was there for that. Um, it was the most traumatic thing ever in my life. You know, I was literally walking around the streets in New York, literally crying, like unconsolably crying, like bar to bar, drinking, crying, crying, drinking. And my wife was there for me. You know, um, and when we had wins, my wife was there for me. But I just knew that now I can focus and tackle the things from a business perspective. So that would be the first thing that I would do. I mean, um, before you get in the other one, I, I think 
Elon Musk said something like similar in like an article where he said that is like the the only thing missing in his life. It's oh. the only thing that you can't not focus on is being oh, single. So I'm being kicking alone. Elon's Musk ask. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect, yo. Perfect, yeah. yo. I ain't yeah. buying no Tesla neither, yo. Um, <laughs> not the ones that drive themselves. At least. Hey, I ain't. You know, I like. You know, I'm good. I'm good on that, fam. Um, you know, the second thing I think is. Um, you know, finding something that you're truly passionate about, you know, and I think like that happens when you're alone by yourself and you understand what drives you and what you're really interested in. Um, and then I think when you create a business um, is creating a network of people around you that aren't anything like you. Um, human nature is to bring you closer to people who share the same similarities. Um, I think in business, you want to find people who make you strong where you're weak. Um, and sometimes socially that's challenging, but when you really look at it as a skill set perspective, you want to find people that make you better and that make you diverse. Um, you know, so I think like in this world of, you know, um, of agencies and diversity, it's like we're extremely diverse. And it's not because like, hey, look, we're diverse. Press the, hit the diverse button, hit the other button on the census shit, you know, like, no, it's like, this is just who we are. Like, you know, this incredible freedom of speech, you know, our agency is, you know, more than, you know, 50% female, um, is more 50% minority. Um, and it's just a place where, you know, kids can come, you know, argue. And because they argue and they're bright people, the work is better, right? So I just think like, you know, get a good wifey, <laughs> you know, um, or whoever you're dating, right? Do whatever you're gonna do, but just hunker down, you know? Um, and I would say also, you know, have a good network of people around you that you trust. Um, and that make you better, and then compliment you where you're weak, um, and uh, and then I think like, you know, do something that you're passionate about. You know, like I always said that, uh, you know, the reason why you know I created Team Epiphany um, is because I like to entertain people. You know, um, when me and my wife got together and we finally moved into our first place, um, you know, our place became like the house of people for people who weren't from New York who couldn't go home for Thanksgiving or Easter, or all those things, and our house became a haven for those people. Um, and, and our company is an extension of our dining room table, if you will, you know? Um, you know, we argue as a family, you know? Um, we celebrate as a family, and, um, and I think the kids that work with us, I, I always call everybody kids, no disrespect to my squad, but I, you know, I'm 43, I feel like I'm a kid, you know? I'm 42, I'll be 43 in November. I feel like I'm a kid, but I just feel Fabio. like, it should be, it should just be a place where people feel comfortable being, and you know, um, and um, diversity is a big, big thing. So I would just say, make sure you, you know, you mix it up a little bit and, and take yourself out of your comfort zone. But those would be the three things that I would say center around um, success for me. All right. Um, just before we sign out, I just wanted to grab, you know, just talk a bit, f some fun here. Uh oh. Um, no, I mean, just... There's a publicist over there. Yo. There's three of them looking <laughs> at you like, all right, don't go no. rogue, fam. Oh, no, 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 Don't no, go rogue, no. fam. I mean... You see, my, you see my goon squad? You see him? <laughs> oh, the faces they're giving me right Look now. Look at those so faces. Intense. You guys um, can't see it, no, but um, um, they're looking at us. The NBA season's coming up. See, that's not so bad, guys, ah. right? See, that's not so but bad. Wait. But wait, no. Ah. Um, no, I just... Um, I just want to know, like, what you're excited about. You're a Knicks fan, right? Uh, There's never really much to be excited uh, about as a Knicks fan. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I lived in Tribeca. I live, you know, I'm a Brooklyn kid, 514 Monroe Street, crack epidemic, Bed-Stuy, you know what I mean? One, one Avenue up at Gates Ave, you know, like, I'm from Brooklyn, you know? I, I you know, spent a little time in Montclair. I spent a lot of time in Atlanta, too much time in Atlanta. Um, and I'm a Knicks fan through and through, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and every year the Knicks, you know, 
you know, thug tier, you think you're going to win a chip. <laughs> I talk a lot of smack over the summer, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know about the Knicks this summer. Yeah. I don't know about the Knicks right now, um, you know. But I live in Brooklyn. I live in, you know, the real Brooklyn, Dumbo <laughs> right now. I live in Dumbo. Um, you know, I'm kind of like Brooklyn Nets right now, yeah? man. I got to really? be honest, man. What? I got to be honest. Never you know, like my son loves basketball, you. you know, like – you know, they got some cap room next season. Sure, a lot of it next season. You year. know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it's always great to be like, use a Nick fan, you yeah. know? But, like, I think the brand that got the biggest opportunity to grow and develop into kind of one of those iconic franchises is definitely is definitely the, uh, is definitely Brooklyn. And then in my household, we got a couple issues. So Ellington is a huge Kyrie fan, and I'm mm -hmm. a huge Kyrie fan. And my man got like a Boston Celtics little mini hoop <laughs> up in the crib, and he, all he wants to wear is so all the fly Ellington stuff you saw before, like it's not gonna happen. Anymore. <laughs> I think that's the reason why God blessed me with another son because all my kid wants to look like is he's you know he's wearing like pr like like legit like leggings, short like you know all he green. wants to be like this athlete. He thinks he's Kyrie. You know, his yeah. handles is not there. He'll never be Kyrie. Love you, Ellington, but. <laughs> You know, the fact that he's a Kyrie fan, hopefully Kyrie comes to B Brooklyn next year. You know, okay. we see him. But here's the strangest thing about me in basketball, because I'm a big ball fan. Yeah. My favorite player in the league is DeMarcus Cousins. Oh, no, I love Boogie DeMarcus. is my man. When Boogie went down, popped was, his Achilles, literally, like, sad. I thought I popped clicking. mine. I cried, yo. I they cried, were just yo. clicking. I yeah. cried. And then when he signed with Golden State, you know, my wife never comes to me with like sports updates, but she's from the she Bay. Can't be with that, huh? She's from the Bay. She claims she's from San Mateo, but I really think she's from Oakland. Um, <laughs> Close enough. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I'm it's, kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you know, just you know, kidding. Shout out to and, Oakland. I love you guys. And she, um, you know, she was the first person to world bring it to me that my favorite player went to her, you know, her her team, and um, I'm like, ah, uh, you know, I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see, who would I like to see win it this year? I like to see. I really like to see Boogie get a chip. Yeah, that's where I'm at. You know, what I mean, yeah, I like to see Boogie get a chip. He's probably not gonna play much. At least he's not gonna play till like the All Star break, if not after. You know, I mean, it's all good. But as know. long as he comes back to that level, because he's not gonna stay with them next year. Yeah, maybe he's coming, coming, coming here. You know, that's you know, what I'm maybe but he's he, coming. Maybe he's coming to Brooklyn. <laughs> him and Kyrie would be a problem. Come on, yo. But, let's let's you know, talk about only it. Only one way to see. Let's put that in the air right now. Man, all the Brooklyn goons and you got Boogie. Like I got he's Boogie, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm 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 a Boogie fan, but um, I'm really excited for the NBA season. Um, I'm also excited that all the players can. This is the funny about the NBA, right? All the players can now wear any sneakers they wanted on the court. Yeah. Wasn't that happening already? Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay, so. I was just saying. I think it's like, just a color code. If okay, I'm, cool. Yeah, I mean, but it's, same thing. It's all good. Because yeah. I'm more about, I think the players in the NBA should have to wear sneakers that fit in their team colors. That's just me. I believe that. Like, you know, like I'm the kid that's like, um, oh, actually, I'm wearing my favorite sneakers of all time um, uh, Hirachi Fab Fives. Um, and I just really, I like that team camaraderie, camaraderie yeah. in sports, you know? But. You know, I understand everybody's got a deal and everybody's got to sell sneakers, but I'm a, shoes, I'm a big basketball <laughs> fan, man. Yeah, I'm a big basketball Yeah, the Christmas Day shoes are big, so I'm a big basketball fan. Is that really why? It's just for camaraderie? Um, I think so. I mean, I think like... Or, or, or why you prefer it is what I mean. Um, I just think it's like it's about team basketball, man. Sure. You know what I mean? I think like when you look at the great teams of old, you know, again, I'm 42, I'm old, but I, you know, you remember, you know, remember Showtime and Magic and them, you know? Right. Worthy might have had on his New Balance, you know, and Magic might have had on... I think at the time he had those he he had all those he had like a weird magic sneaker for a time, but yeah. you know he had on the Converse, you know he had on the ERXs and he had on the Energy Waves and all the fly stuff and 
you know, and then you, you had the forces on the team. I think um, Cooper had on like uh, Air Force Ones, yep. and but they were all in the team colors. I just kind of like really felt like when Boston dropped the black sneakers, you know what I mean? Like I felt like that was fly. Yeah. Um, you know, now I just feel like everybody's going for self. But you know what? Everybody is going for self. You know, you can have a dude on the team that's making forty million dollars and a dude that's on a you know ten day contract. You know, so that's kind of like where we're at. I think you know there's an interesting story the other day. Um, you know, you think about you know, how much money Dr. J made in his career. And, you know, you look at kids on the end of the bench on the Celtic, on the on the 76ers, and they actually make more money than Dr. J made in his entire career in a season, right? right. Like, so, like, the reality is, is, like, it's changed. It's a business. But, um, you know, I would like to see that, that team uniform and, you know, and challenge them. It's not like the fact that the sneaker companies couldn't come up with something fresh in a colorway sure. to rock on the court, yeah. you know, but... Um, you know, those are one of the things that I like, but I, I do, I do love basketball, man. So I, you did enjoy the the LeBron James, Tom Brown suits? Uh, I'm good, fam. <laughs> I'm good, fam. I'm good, yo. You know what I mean? Like my thing is like, <laughs> you know, my thing funny. is like, you know, I mean, everybody else had in a suit. LeBron had a forty-five thousand dollar alligator like yeah. duffel. <laughs> like I get it, Bron, Bron. I get it. You know, but I, you know why I was upset about it? Nobody had on the traditional. Tom Brown kilt. Nobody right. had on the skirt, yo. That was that was yeah. the biggest miss right there. You know what I mean? Like big athletes, six nine in shorts, look a little crazy. Yeah. But like I would like to see one of them in one yeah. of the skirts, yo. That's yeah. just me. Like I probably have more man skirts than most men and most women combined. But like the difference is, is like if you're gonna do Tom Brown, I need yeah, to see the whole a thing. skirt. I need to see the whole thing. The whole man. way, yeah. Just do it. Yo. I mean, Jr. could have easily been talking to Jr. could have did it. Yeah. Jr. could have did it. I'm gonna talk to him, y'all. That's like actually, that's one of my other favorite players in the league, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like him. Like I like all the hood kids, you know. Skip to my Lou and oh, man. you know and Jamal Crawford and shout out to Seattle. You know, like they're I just like, bringing back. You say Rafer, they're just bringing back um, and one, but uh, KG's coming back as. Creative director. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. No, that's, okay. That's, <laughs> but all, that's all. But please help them bring um, back the M1 mixtapes. I mean, M1 mixtapes we can bring back, but the sneakers and the product they can keep. Yeah, yeah I was never on that. Except way, for them, those old school, their old school mesh shorts were are, are still probably one of the best short. Like the, basketball the mesh shorts. shorts were good. I'm still wearing like I'm just gonna age myself. I still have like all my old like Olafs. Oh, what my old Olaf shorts from back in the that's day. Tight. So like I still like I'm old man. I play ball man. It's all good, yo. I'll definitely. You know, I'll take anybody's bet. You know, if you want to meet me on the court, I'll take your money. It's fine. Old school. I'm like yeah. that old guy that shows up in a Con Ed outfit in Timberlands. I'll, I'll take your money, yo. We, have, we had Bobito on last week. Yeah, um, I'll take Bobito's really, money, have too. Have you played yo. him before? No, I haven't, no? yo. He's a little older than me. It's okay. I'll keep it keep it cool for him. But, you know. You guys should just go shot for shot. No, nah, he don't want that. He don't want that. <laughs> even, even the playing field a little bit. He don't want that, yo. Send, From send the free throws. Don't want that, free throws. Don't want that. I got the old, I got the old school white boy game, yo. You don't want no. <laughs> I don't miss open jumpers and I don't miss free throws. I can't run up and down the court with you, yeah. but I ain't gonna miss any. Yeah, yeah that's just a free fact. throws. That's he a knows fact. how to move without the ball. It's right? all good. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all good. Um, <laughs> I did go to the big three the other day. Oh, the championship. Yeah, yo. Yeah. I, I did go to the big three. I took my son there. Yeah. Um, what um, do you think about that league? Um, it's bittersweet for us because we we own this game called um, Fightball. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're still trying to figure out what we want to do with it. Um, but Ice Cube has done amazing things with Big Three. I love to see the brother winning, and I love to see the growth from the you know, from you know the players of last year that couldn't make it through like one game. You know, what I mean, yeah, AI looked sure. like he was literally like winded. He had a pint in a pint of henny in in the in the in the water bottle. You know what I mean? 
Um, and then, you know, you didn't play the season, and then you got kids on the court that can actually play, like Birdman was playing, and, mm -hmm. you know, Gordon Abdul Rauf was playing, and his jumper was just wet, like old school, yeah, you know. Yeah, I saw him walking up. Uh, Big Baby was playing, you know, like, yeah. so So it's good to see those kids that can play, like um, Baron Davis, my homie. Yeah. Um, just good seeing them play. So I think um, I think it's a, a, I think it's a great idea, great concept, um, and um, I was excited to see that. But I go see all types of basketball. I went, you know, I went to New York for New York, brought my kid. Yeah. I'll take him to go see girls' high school basketball because I think like that's probably, you know, probably the best sport for the young kids to go watch, to play, to learn the game. You know, I think Steph Curry has fucked up all these young kids' game. Um, you know, it's like step in the gym, I'm open. Like, uh, you're not, fam. Um, you know, like, <laughs> it no. you know, it looks good, you know, but like, you know, I've watched the masterclass with Steph and my son multiple times and, you know, I, I, I love basketball. So, you know, I hope Ellington plays, um, you know, but I just, I just want him to have the skills enough to be able to make his high school team and play basketball. That's all that I want. You know, we ain't, we ain't going much farther than that. <laughs> we'll shoot for that for now. Oh, yeah, no. He'll manage, own the team. He'll expectations. own the team, yo. He'll own the team, yo. He'll own the team. All right. Um, anything else? Any final last words? Um, one, thank you. Um, two, I, I, I just, you know, from business to business and seeing where you guys are here, and, you know, at Hypebeast and Kev and, you know, and the squad that you guys got here, you know, I would like to think if I, you know, were doing the same thing that you guys were doing, I'd be, I, you know, I'd be you guys, you know, I think we're the reflection of who you guys are on the other side. And um, and I also know how difficult it is to 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 do things that seem basic to most people. So um, just wanted to give you guys props and thanks for having me come in. And um, and um, yeah, we're you know, I mean, we're on this side. Where we're just helping amplify some of the stories that you're telling. So yeah. you guys are creating it. We're trying to bring it out to the masses. So I'd like yeah. to see Hype Fest, too. Yo. Let's get it. Let's get it. <laughs> Y'all ready? Um, Let's get it. All right, you heard it here first, guys. Um, thanks for tuning in. Peace. Peace. Peace.